Thanks so much for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and help you grow deeper in your faith. G'day again. Thanks for joining us. I have a word I want to bring you today that God takes our ordinary and makes it extraordinary. We're going to pray and then we're going to dive in. Can you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather in our homes, around our screens. Thank you for your word that speaks to us. And Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity I have to bring this message to your church and those who are checking out who Jesus is. Father, I pray you'll anoint me for this task to preach your word and give us ears and hearts that are open to hear from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been uh, coaching a, a soccer team, having to be my eldest son's soccer team for the last five years. We were in the under-14s Division 2 last year, and we won the competition. Here's a picture of the boys on the grand final day with their uh, medals ar- around their neck celebrating their win. And at the end of the season, I uh, said to the boys, boys, because we've won Division 2, it means that we're going to go to Division 1. And there's a big step up from Division 2 to Division 1. So what I want you to do is go and recruit some of your friends. Now, I just don't want you to get some friends who are friends who are good at um, computer games or they play board games or whatever. I want good soccer players. But I want to try and get the best team we can get because if we're going to go from Division 2 to Division 1, if we're going to be competitive, we need to recruit some really good players. So I sent the boys off to recruit so I could get the best team we could get so we'd, so we'd do well this year. But it's not just in soccer where we try and recruit to get our best team. It's also true in the Olympics. And right now we're in the Olympic Games in Tokyo. And and what countries do, they just don't send anybody. They get all their athletes and they get their athletes competing with each other in their own country. And then they work out who the best athletes are and then send their best team to the Olympics to represent their country. We want to send our best team. And this is also true in business and in organisations where if you're a leader and you're trying to build a team, you're trying to employ people, you look for the best people who can join your team. You look for the people who are the most qualified, people with great character, the people who are most gifted, people with passion in the area you want them to lead in. But as I think about Jesus and his team, um, from the outside looking in, it doesn't seem like the best team because Jesus didn't pick the most educated. He didn't pick the most religious. If he wanted them, he would would have picked the Pharisees. He didn't pick the most influential or the most gifted. He didn't choose the people who were the most um, experienced. Rather, he chose ordinary people just like you and me to be his disciples. And what's fascinating about that is that he wasn't just choosing people to serve him and help him do the ministry where he's the superhero and everyone just supports the superhero. It was much more than that because his disciples weren't just there to learn from him and support him, but they were the next step in the plan. They were going to be given the message of God and his kingdom and the gospel of Jesus, and they were then called to lead it throughout the world. It was a huge thing that, that our Jesus asked his disciples to do. And if it was me and I was Jesus, I don't think I would have picked those people. I would have picked people who are more educated and gifted, people who 
were more influential in the community. But Jesus didn't pick them, and there is a principle that, that, our, that our God does, which is extraordinary, and it's this. When Jesus gets his hand on you, he takes your ordinary and makes it extraordinary. I love that thought. One more time. When Jesus gets his hands on you, he takes your ordinary and makes it extraordinary. So when Jesus grabbed those disciples, he didn't need the most gifted. He didn't need the most educated. He didn't need the most passionate. Because all he needed them to do was to say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And by doing that, Jesus said, all right, now I'm going to mold you, and I'm going to change you, and I'm going to equip you, and I'm going to transform you to be the person that I need you to be to do the things that I want you to do. And that wasn't just true for the disciples at the time. It's also true for us today. That when we say, yes, Jesus, I'm in, I want to follow you, he takes our ordinary and he forms us and he transforms us and he moves us and he puts his gifting in us and he puts his passion in us and he transforms us to be the people that he wants us to be where we move from ordinary to extraordinary for God's kingdom, for his purpose. Today I want to take you to um, Matthew chapter 5 and it's the calling of Jesus' first disciple who is known as Simon, who's also known as Simon Peter. Now, the context here is that Jesus has um, been baptized. He's come out of the water. The spirits have come upon him like a dove. Then he's tempted in the desert. Then we are, see his mission in Luke 4, where he speaks to his synagogue, his mission from Isaiah 61. We then see Jesus speaking about this message of the kingdom and the good news. And then we see him healing, teaching, and then calling disciples to follow him. Let's look at this text from Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or another way of saying that is the Sea of Galilee, same place, different name, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. And when we read Simon, this is also Simon Peter, same guy. Jesus gives him the name Peter later. And asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. So Simon Peter saw this. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. No longer fishing for fish, now fishing, fishing for people. They left everything and followed Jesus. As we look at this text this morning, the calling of Simon and a couple of other disciples there too, I've uh, pulled out five things that I want to take you through in this text. Five things. The first thing is this. 
There are multiple steps before Simon said yes. There's multiple steps before Simon says yes. That's the first thought. Now, one of the important things we need to do when we are reading the Bible is that we're to read the Bible in context. Because if you read this passage on on its own, you may think that this is the first encounter Jesus had with Simon. But it's not. It's at least the second or maybe the third or the fourth. We don't know. But at least the second encounter. If we go back to the chapter beforehand, to Luke chapter 4, it says this. Oh no, yes, I think it should be Luke 4, not Luke 5, 38, Luke 4. It says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. A chapter earlier, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and important, they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Interesting scripture. Here we have Jesus coming to Simon's house, the guy we read about in the next chapter, in chapter 5, that he's come to his house because his mother-in-law has a high fever and Jesus comes and heals her. Now we can assume Simon knew about that experience. Most likely Simon was there when Jesus turned up and healed his mother-in-law. But it's so interesting also here it says in the last line, and they asked Jesus to help her. Why would they ask Jesus to help a woman with a fever? They must have known something about Jesus, something that Jesus had been doing in order for them to ask Jesus to help him. So I reckon Simon had multiple encounters with Jesus. He heard about what he was teaching and doing. Therefore, Simon or someone in his household invited Jesus to his household to heal his mother-in-law. And then we have this encounter that we read about in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Here's the thought. There are regularly multiple steps before Simon says yes, and it's true for us, that before people become to become followers of Jesus, there's regularly multiple steps. Now, these steps could be simply Jesus coming to people by himself, where Jesus turns up in a dream to someone and says, I am the Lord, worship me. Or someone's reading the Bible for themselves over a number of days and weeks, and they encounter Jesus for themselves. But mostly, God chooses to use his church for people to encounter Jesus. Because we as Christians, if you're watching this today and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian. As a Christian, you are part of the body of Christ. The Bible describes us as his ambassadors on the earth, that we are his representatives on the earth. So when people encounter a Christian, they're encountering Jesus because his spirit is within us and we are part of his body. And so... Before someone says yes, generally there are multiple encounters with Jesus. They might meet a Christian who's nice to them. Then they might meet a love, another Christian who loves them and does something for them in their, in their time of need. Maybe they meet a Christian and they're struggling and that Christian prays for them and something happens in their experience. Maybe that Christian shares their testimony with that person. They invite them to a place and they can hear about Jesus. Maybe you invited them, you've been invited today to online church. Maybe you sat down with someone and taken them through foundations. These are all steps that people take, the multiple steps that people take, usually before they say yes to Jesus. And every person, every believer, we play our part. 
Regularly when we share, we, we, we share our faith, that person doesn't respond. But the next person and the next person and the next person who shares with them, eventually they get to a place where they respond to Jesus. And bit by bit, person after person, daily, weekly, as we share our faith, people will say yes, say yes to Jesus. First thought, multiple steps before Simon said yes. The second thought I have is this, that Jesus pursues Simon. I just said to you from Luke 4 that Jesus has been to um, his Simon's house where Simon's mother-in-law had a fever and Jesus heals the mother-in-law and Simon's heard out information, but that wasn't enough for Simon to say yes to Jesus. So what does Peter do? Sorry, what does Jesus do? He pursues Simon and he turns up at the sea, at the edge of the Sea of Galilee where Simon and his mates have been fishing all night They've caught nothing and they're cleaning their nets. And it just so happens that Jesus turns up, sits, stands next to the boats where Jesus, where Simon has just um, brought their nets in and he's teaching the people. And a crowd of people gather and he's teaching them. And it just so happens that Jesus is there with Simon. Now you might say that's a coincidence. I want to say that it's a God incidence where God deliberately moves and changes and moves circumstances to get our attention, to achieve his plan and achieve his purpose. And so we have Jesus here standing next to Simon's boats, the guy who had just healed his mother-in-law. Simon's no doubt interested in Jesus, encountered something that he's unsure what to do. Who is this person? What, am I, how, what do I do with him? And Jesus is there speaking to the crowd. Jesus pursues Simon. And there's, and there's a principle there for us, that Jesus is the one who pursues us. Um, I, I first started dating my wife, Michelle, when she was 18 years of age. And, and before we started dating, I asked her out on a date. But before I asked her out on a date, um, the reason I asked her out is because there was a guy in the church that I was a part of who was moving house and he had a, a, a mental disability and physically um, not, not, not that able as well. And he was moving from Greenacre to Pitney Point, and he needed help. And I had a trailer. And I asked the church, who's, who's happy to help me move this guy named Paul from Greenacre to Pitney Point? And this lovely young 18-year-old girl named Michelle said, hey, I'll help. And I was super impressed by that. I went, who is this amazing girl who was willing to help? So I went and picked her up at a house, and she wore these really short shorts. Well, this is my version of the events anyway. She wore these really short shorts to capture my attention. And then we went and helped the guy move. And I was impressed by this, by her work ethic, by her attitude, by her love. And I went, this girl's awesome. So I asked her out on a date and I took her to a seafood restaurant, this really expensive one in Cronulla. Turns out she doesn't like seafood, but we uh, did that anyway. And then we, we uh, went on the beach, held hands and had a little kiss. Don't do that on your first date, everyone. That's bad. Um, and, 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 and then I took her home, not to my home, to her home, because that's the right thing to do. And I went home. And I thought it was great, and then um, I saw her next, or I called her next, and I asked her out on another date, and she said, no, I don't want to go on another date with you. I went, oh dear. But I really like this woman, so what did I do? I pursued her. I didn't stalk her, I pursued her. And I asked her out on another date, and eventually she said yes, and we've been married for 17 years, three kids later. I pursued my wife, and just like I pursued my wife, and Jesus pursued Simon, friends, Jesus pursues people. God loves us so much. Jesus loves us so much that he wants us. 
He values us. He sees us as his creation and he loves us and says, I'm going to pursue you and have you in my life. And so he uses his church to love us, to serve us bit by bit until we come to a realization of who he is and come to follow him. You know, the scripture says that our, our eyes are blinded, our hearts are darkened. It's, it's, it's God himself who opens our eyes to see and, and softens our hearts to believe. God, by his spirit, prepares us to believe. Then he gives us the faith to believe. He gives us all of it. All we need to do is say yes to him. For God is the God who loves us. God is the God who pursues us. You are so special, so worthy of God that he loves you so much that he pursues you. Amazing. Second thought, Jesus pursues Simon. Third thought is this. Jesus uses Simon's resource to achieve his, to achieve his purpose. As, I, as I've been reading through Luke in my quiet times, and I got to Luke 5, and this just jumped out at me. Check out what it says here in, um, in Luke 5, verse 3. Jesus has got the crowd. He's teaching the crowd. Then it says, He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. That's the scripture. Here's the thought. Jesus uses Simon's resource to achieve his purpose. Jesus is teaching the crowd. The crowd's got so big that people are cramming up next to him. People can't see him. He can't project to the back because people are right there. So he needs to create some distance. So Simon just happens to be there with his boat. And he says, hey, Simon, can I use your boat? Can you push me out? So he goes out in the boat, gets some distance from the people so he can project his voice and so people can see him. And here's the principle. Jesus uses Simon's resource. Jesus uses our resource to achieve his purpose. And that is a beautiful thing. That God is on mission across this world to achieve his purpose. And he invites me and he invites you to partner with him with the resources that we have, which are the resources that he's given us, actually, to help him achieve his purpose. I'm standing in a building um, that was built in 1970 at our Padstow campus. And our front building was built in 1954. And before that, back in 1952 or thereabouts, a bunch of Christians from Campsie decided to plant a church. They were, they were meeting in a Christian community in Campsie. And Sydney was expanding, and they came out to the sticks out at Padstow, where, there wasn't, where it was all new, and they're building new houses back in 1952. And they bought this block of land at 35 car Road riding Padstow. How did they buy it? Well, people in the church opened up their wallets and they gave. Then they built the first building in 1954 where we have our youth room, our offices, and our foyer. And then about 16 years later in 1970, they then built this building that I'm standing in now. And Mr. Rex, who's no doubt watching today, was one of the men who dug the foundations of the underground downstairs back in the 1970s. Praise God for you, Mr. Rex. And I share these stories is because people gave of their resource to see these buildings built. And what's happened in these buildings over the last 70 years? People have heard the message of Jesus and got saved. People have been baptized. People have been filled with the Spirit. People have been equipped and trained to go and share the message of Jesus with the world. Lives have been transformed. People have come under Jesus' authority. Radical things have happened for his kingdom here in this place. 
And that's largely to do with people choosing to give of their resource to see his kingdom come. And today we have opportunity to give our finance to see his kingdom come, to build buildings, to buy resources, this whole online church thing. There's thousands and thousands of dollars in computers and cameras and programs for us to do what we're doing today. And because LifeGate Church of your generosity, your generosity, we are presenting this not just to you but to the world. And people all around the world are tuning in and, and are getting our YouTube messages and our online services and watch them all around the world because of the resource that you're given. As you give your resource, it, it allows people to come out of their secular work, and like myself, who's now in full-time ministry, and your resource allows, allows me to, um, to be funded to do what I'm doing. Your resource makes a difference for the kingdom. Here's the thought. Jesus, Jesus uses Simon's resource to achieve his purpose, and he uses my resource and your resource to achieve his purpose. How are you using your resource to achieve his purpose, to partner with what God is doing? That's the third thought. Fourth thought is this. Jesus' way is best. This is a little fascinating um, part of the scripture where Jesus goes to a bunch of fishermen and he, and he tells them how to fish. Check this out. Verse 4. When, when, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Friends, Jesus' way is the best way. That's the thought I want to leave you with this one, number four. I started fishing as a, as, as a young kid. My dad bought me this cheapo rod. It was blue, and it was really, really a $20 thing. And we used to catch these little fish. And as I got older, I became more passionate about fishing. So I started to buy some better gear. It wasn't great. It wasn't until I was in my 30s that I bought some real um, Shimano CI4s, if you know what that is, decent fishing reels and, decent, um, and Shimano rods, some, some, some good stuff. And it wasn't until about eight years ago that I bought my first boat. It's a little tinny. If you've heard my messages before, you would have seen a picture of it. It's a four-meter seal um, tinny, and it's small, and it's little. I can take my family out, of the, out in it, and we are, go out in the daytime. We are, don't go out at nighttime because that's just too dangerous, and I don't have the GPS, and I don't, don't have all that stuff. So we go out in daytime, and we use our little rods, and we drop them over the edge, and we, and we try, emphasis on try, try to catch fish. Now compare that with what we have in this scripture. We have a bunch of professional fishermen who firstly go fishing at night time. 2,000 years ago, no batteries, no GPS, no press this button and everyone comes running to rescue you. There was none of that. There was, there was, there was no um, electric lighting on the boat. They were dependent upon lamps. There were no big spotlights to see where they were going. And they didn't have little lines with a, with, with a stick sticking in the water like you have in the kids' cartoon shows. They had nets. These guys were serious fishermen. And along comes this carpenter. And he says, hey, go back out, throw your nets on the other side. No wonder Simon says, hang on, Jesus. What do you mean? We're the experts here. We've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. But because I know that you're the miracle worker, that you're the healer, maybe there's something in this. So we went, lowered the nets, 
And he caught such an extraordinary amount of fish. Now, it was so extraordinary that his boat could not take all the fish. Now, you would have a boat, the size of your boat would be dependent upon the number of people you're going to put in it and the number of fish you're going to catch. That makes sense, doesn't it? They had so many fish they couldn't bring in their boat. They had to get their friend's boat, and they both boats struggled to bring in the fish. It was an extraordinary catch, and it grabbed Simon's attention. So extraordinary. And at that, Simon says, Jesus, um, leave me. I'm a sinful man. We're going to look at that in a minute. But this moment radically transformed his life. And the point I want to say is, Jesus' way is the best way. Jesus, as the designer of this world, as the creator of this world, the one who put everything in place, gravity and air and water and heat and cold, and put us at the exact right distance from the sun, where it's not too cold for us, nor too hot for us. And then he made it so plants could grow and animals could grow, and he's just set it up so beautifully He knows what's best for us. And it's not just in fishing. And it's not just in carpentry that Jesus knows what's best for my life and your life. He knows what's best in every area of our lives, in parenting, in in your marriage, in your business, in your organization, in your sporting group, in your study. He knows it all because he created you. He gave you the ability to learn. He gave us relationship. We see the most beautiful relationship in the triune God, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He knows how to do relationship perfectly. Jesus' way is the best way. And as we go, grab a hold of Jesus' way through his scriptures and learn how he wants us to treat people. Love God, love people. He teaches how to speak. Not to pull down, but rather to lift up. He talks about forgiving, not being angry, to releasing, to speaking encouragement. He talks about loving our spouse like Christ loved the church, to train a child in the way they should go so when they're old they will not depart from it. When we live the way that Jesus wants us to live, we're living our best life. We're living the life that he wants us to live. We're setting ourselves up for the most success. We're setting our life up to thrive because Jesus' way is the best way. In our life groups, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, after all Jesus says, this is the last thing he says. He says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, hears these words of mine, not just hears them, but puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Friends, when we find out what Jesus wants for our lives and put it into practice, it's like we're building our lives on the rock, the rock of the Lord Jesus. His way is the best way. His way is the best way. Jesus' way is the best way. Last thought, that's four. Number five is this. Your past doesn't have to dictate your future. One more time. Your past doesn't have to dictate your future. After they caught this huge amount of fish, this is what Simon says. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Simon looked at his life and looked at the incredibleness of Jesus and went, Wow, Jesus, you're way too good for me. 
I've done all this stuff in my life. I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I'm not worthy to be loved by you. I'm not, I'm not worthy. Leave, leave me. We're not told what Simon had done. We don't know about his life. But what we do know, when he looked at himself, he sees shame and he sees guilt. He sees, I'm not good enough. And I wonder if that's, what you, if that's how you see your life. You look at your life and you think to yourself, man, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to be accepted by Jesus. I've done this and I've done that. I'm not worthy. I have too much shame. I have too much guilt. I am Jesus. I have no place with you. But in this scripture, Jesus knew Simon. He knew his weaknesses. He knew his failings. And yet, Jesus says to him, Simon, come and follow me. And you will no longer fish for fish. You will fish for people. And Simon takes that invitation and chooses to follow Jesus, becomes one of his disciples, and he becomes the apostle to the Jews. One of Jesus' closest disciples, one of the most influential of the disciples that we have. Jesus, Jesus asked Simon to follow him, and Simon said yes. And that is what Jesus is asking you to do. He's asking you to follow him. Here's the thought, number five, do not let your past your past doesn't have to dictate your future. What you've done in the past doesn't have to hold you back from all that God has for you. All you need to do is say yes to Jesus. Choose to follow him. And you'll say, come, welcome. Welcome to my family. It's wonderful to have you with me. If that's where you're at today and you've never committed your life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now. Say, God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. I believe who you are. I want to follow you with my life. If you want to do that, if you want to become a Christian, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Bow your heads. God will hear this prayer. Pray this after me. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me and rose from the dead. God, I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. Please forgive me. I choose to follow Jesus all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just pray that prayer to become a Christian, you've just chosen to follow Jesus. That is the first step in a lifelong journey of following him. Welcome to the family. If you pray that, click on the prayer tab below and someone will pray with you and help you take the next step in learning and living a life of following Jesus. And as a Christian, as a person who's followed him, let me take you back to these five thoughts. These five thoughts. Number one is this. There are multiple steps before Simon said yes. Number two, Jesus pursues Simon. Number three, Jesus uses Simon's resource to achieve his purpose. Number four, Jesus' way is the best way. Number five, your past doesn't have to dictate your future. If you, if, if you heard this message, I wonder which one of these points stand out to you the most. I want you to take 30 seconds to reflect on this, to pray. Ask God to speak to you and ask him, God, what's my next step? Take 30 seconds and pray now. Father, I want to say thank you for who you are. Father, I want to say thank you for Simon and his story, that you are the one God who goes after those who recognize that they haven't got it all together. 
You ask us to follow you. And you grab a hold of our lives and you take what is ordinary and you make it extraordinary. God, we thank you for that and we pray, Lord, that you would use us for your purpose. That each one of us will be deliberate in sharing the love of Christ. It will be Jesus to the world so that people, after multiple encounters, will make a decision to follow you. God, we thank you that God, that, 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 that you are the one who pursues us, that you give us the faith to believe, that you open our eyes to believe, that you are the God who keeps pursuing us until we say yes. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to partner with you with our resource, that, that uh, we may partner with you, that you may achieve your purpose. God, we recognize today that your way is the best way in our marriages, in our relationships, in our finance, in all that we do in life, that your way is the best way. And finally, we recognize that our past doesn't have to dictate our future. May we release the shame. May we release the guilt. May we see the past as the past, forgiven by you. And may we see ourselves as you see us, as loved, as forgiven, as your workmanship, as people who, where you take our ordinary and you make us extraordinary. Father, we thank you for this time. We bless you. May we grab a hold of this and apply it to our lives and live mightily and be transformed for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being part of this. Thanks for watching this day. It's been a real pleasure having you. God bless you. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. My name is Andrew and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to support you, help you get connected and find out how you can take your next steps. So why don't you head to lifegate.org.au slash online and we'd love to find out more about